Welcome to According to the Scriptures, where doing things according to God's Word is of heavenly importance to us. I'm Kyle Webb, your host, and I'm glad that you are here. A few weeks ago, one of our members suggested that we do a study on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And the reason that he gave is that the seven ones that are found in those verses pretty well cover Christianity and should be fundamental to each of us as Christians. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And so we began that study. And today, for an installment of According to the Scriptures, I want to share with you an original recording of the sermon in hopes that it will be beneficial to you. So grab your Bible, a pen and paper if you'd like to take notes, And I'll be back at the end of the program to give you more information about our congregation and how to contact us. The seven ones of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And we have so far looked at one of those lessons, one body. Uh, I told you last week this was uh, inspired by a conversation that I had with Joe. Uh, This is something that uh, we talked about and that he said that was probably the one, one of the most fundamental things to Christianity and yet something that we do not study that often. And as a matter of fact, as I went through my materials, I have several books and, and things of that nature, and I couldn't find anything that focused specifically on the seven ones of Ephesians chapter 4. And so I, I thought it would be an interesting study for us. So far we've talked about the one body, And we are continuing today with one spirit and what that means for us. Let's just go to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment. Let's pick up with our text and and read through those verses again. And then we'll pick up with the one spirit today. Ephesians 4 beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, And through all and in you all. Last week as we looked at the the beginning of of these verses, the, the first three verses, the main theme can be given as unity. The unity of the Spirit. That we be united. And as we get into verse 4 and read through verse 6, we have the seven ones that again give reference to that unity that we are supposed to have. We are united in one body. 
We are united as the church. We are the body of Christ. He is the head of his church, and we are the one body. There is but one body. That one body must follow the word of God. Apart from the word of God, we do not have unity. And so we understand the importance of the one body. But in addition to the one body, there is also one spirit. The Holy Spirit. What we understand or who we understand to be the third person of the Godhead. The Spirit of God that dwells within us. There is but one Spirit of God. Uh, Later we get into the, the fact that there is one Lord. There is one God and Father of all. But there is but one Spirit. And that, that will be our focus for today. It is not multiple or many. But there is but one Spirit. When we are baptized, when we are born of water and of the Spirit. As according to John chapter 3. There is but one Spirit for us to be baptized into. There is but one Spirit that we are united in. And so that is important to our study. Now, we don't do a lot of lessons on the Spirit. Um, As a matter of fact, I can think of one. Uh, One other time that I preached on the Spirit. Uh, We may include the Spirit in, in a lot of our studies, but we don't usually focus primarily on the Spirit. So that's what this lesson is about. Now, as we think about the Spirit, we have to have a good understanding of what we know about the Spirit. And what we know about the Spirit, we find in Scripture. Uh, There's very little that we know for sure. Even what we know, uh, we don't always have a complete understanding of regarding the Holy Spirit. There's much more that we do not know than what we actually know about Him. This is what we know. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. He is a he rather than an it. We don't refer to the Spirit as it, but as he. He is a person of the Godhead. Now, According to Scripture, this is what we know. The Spirit teaches and reminds. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit makes decisions. The Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit can be outraged. The Spirit can be lied to. The Spirit can forbid or prevent human speech and plans. The Spirit searches everything and comprehends God's thoughts. The Spirit apportions spiritual gifts. The Spirit helps us, intercedes for us, and has a mind. The Spirit bears witness to believers about their adoption. The Spirit bears witness to Christ. The Spirit glorifies Christ, takes what is Christ, and declares it to believers. Now, seeing that the Spirit thinks, feels, and does certain things for us, He must be a person. Now, other than a person, other than a human being, and other than what we know of God, And Christ and the Spirit, the only other creature of comparison that thinks, that feels, and does, those are animals. But we have the Spirit, and we have 
God. We are created in the image of God. And so we think, we feel just as God did. If the Spirit is one of the three in the Godhead, it makes perfect sense that He is a person and worthy of such recognition. And so we are to see Him in that way. There are also certain attributes that we know of the Spirit. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit seals us. The Spirit guides us in all truth. The Spirit bears fruit through us. The Spirit is our comforter. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit empowers us. We also understand that spiritual gifts were supplied through the Spirit in time past. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But these are the things that we know about the Spirit. These are the things that the Scriptures teach us about the Spirit. Now, as we move forward in our study today, I want us to spend some time with the indwelling of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because we don't really have a good grasp, I don't think, of what the indwelling of the Spirit is. As a matter of fact, two great and well-known Bible scholars disagreed on how the Spirit works and dwells within us, that of Gus Nichols and Guy N. Woods. Brother Nichols held to the idea of a literal indwelling of the Spirit, while Brother Woods believed that this indwelling was only applied through the Word and nothing more and nothing less. And though they disagreed on how the Spirit indwells the Christian, they did agree on certain aspects of the Spirit. This indwelling today is non-miraculous. The Holy Spirit is deity as one of the Godhead. The Spirit does not operate directly on the heart of an individual to convert them to Christianity or salvation, nor does He exert His will upon an individual. Because of their agreement upon certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, their differences were not worthy of withdrawing fellowship from one another, and they remained good friends, respectfully disagreeing on this matter. Many in the church before and since share similar disagreement with one another, even to this day. But when we disagree, it is important that we hold the same spirit of love and kindness with one another as these two men. I will tell you that that growing up, I remember being taught one aspect Uh, of this one way that the Spirit may indwell us. And I was not taught the other until later on. But I'm going to share with you both versions, both ideas, both theories, and I'll let you come to your own conclusion. But first I want us to focus on the case for a literal indwelling, such as Brother Nichols had. Now, those who became Christians on the day of Pentecost, we understand, were promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children... And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God 
will call. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise that is given to each of us. This is not miraculous ability. Because not all who became Christians were promised miraculous ability. But they were promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. All Christians are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yet not all of us have miraculous abilities. That's one thing that we know about the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift was promised to all who are afar off. That includes us. Those who in time future would be able to partake of this promise and receive this gift. The Spirit was given to those who obeyed. We understand this from Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 30. Acts 5, verses 30 through 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. It is agreed that the promise of the Spirit is valid for all believers, past and present, and is not directly related to the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, healings, and and things of that sort of nature. Let's also take some time to notice the the case for a, a figurative indwelling. As the Word becomes a part of us and dwells within us, so the Spirit dwells within us and works within us through a knowledge and understanding of the Word. Ephesians 5, verse 18, We are to be filled with the Spirit. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We understand that that is important. We are filled with the Spirit according to this theory, according to a figurative indwelling. We are filled with the Spirit when we allow the Word to dwell in us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When the Word dwells in us, so does the Spirit. According to this theory, our thoughts and actions are guided by the Spirit, but only through the Word that dwells in us. The peace of God comes through a knowledge of the gospel of peace. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. When we allow God's Word and gospel to dwell in us, We are ordering our lives by the Word, and the Spirit dwells within us. Now, there are certain things that are agreed upon by those who hold the literal indwelling, and also by those who have the idea of the figurative indwelling. So, the agreement between the views is, first of all, miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to be used in our day and time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with the latter part of verse 8, 
But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That which is perfect, I believe to be the word of God. That which is perfect has come to us. We have the complete revelation of God to us through His Son. We have the Word that is given to us so that we can know exactly what God wants us to know. The Word of God in its completeness is supplied to us through which we can believe and obey the gospel. Now, if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14, uh, all of those have an idea that Paul is trying to to get across to the Corinthians. They thought that, that spiritual gifts were of great importance. And so in those three chapters, he is trying to to get them to understand that there's a time when these things would be done away with. When there's a time when these things would no longer be needed because we would have the complete Word of God. When that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part, the spiritual gifts that they thought to be of great importance, will be done away. So the gifts of prophecy and so forth are no longer necessary as by faith we believe the accounts of such miracles and are convinced of the power of God. We are further in agreement that the Holy Spirit is deity and one of the Godhead. The Spirit does not directly influence us to do His will. Whichever view you may believe, it is important that we find our common ground of agreement and continue together in the faith. Guy and Woods and Gus Nichols are, are great examples of such fellowship. They disagreed on this matter. They even debated this matter. But even so, they had fellowship with one another. They didn't allow it to come between them. They did not allow it to destroy the unity of brotherhood between them in Christ. Now for a moment, I'm going to tell you what I was taught. I, I remember growing up at Science Hill for 20 years of my life. Uh, Marion West was a preacher uh, for most of that time. And I remember somehow, through all those years, I remember him teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I remember... The idea that was put forth before me. Uh, he held the idea of a figurative indwelling. So the idea that he had was that the Spirit only dwells within us in the Word. And that was what we were taught. That was the only thing I ever remember being taught until I came into adulthood. And since then, I've also been taught about the literal indwelling. From a personal standpoint, I tend to lean toward a literal indwelling. I think that there are ways that the Spirit works to guide us that we don't understand. I don't necessarily think that it is 
restricted to just the word dwelling in us, I think that there are ways in which the Spirit indwells us that, that go beyond our understanding of the word. That, that's my thought. And I want to present both views to you, and I'll let you come up with your own uh, opinion. And if you need any uh, help, if you want to study that further, I'd be glad to do that, that with you. Uh, but my, my personal, um, uh, my, my thought, I, I lean toward a literal indwelling rather than just a figurative indwelling. Let's move on to the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit within Christians today. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment. And let's go to verse 17. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. <clears throat> Something that we understand from this text is that it is possible <clears throat> excuse me it is possible and expected that we be filled with the holy spirit we need to be filled with the spirit now how are we filled with the holy spirit when we are filled with the holy spirit there's little room for anything else our worship is pleasing to god we are full of thanksgiving to God who has supplied us with all blessings. We are submissive to one another, looking out for the needs of others before self. Being filled with the Spirit inspires us to continue faithfully in God's service. And so we are to be filled with the Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to forsake. Thank you very much. I was thinking earlier I should have brought it down with me, but I didn't. Being full of the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to forsake worldly pleasures for God's righteousness. And in other words, <clears throat> if we are filled with the Spirit, there's, there is no room for anything evil. There is no room for anything uh, of another nature other than God's nature within us. In Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Romans 12, beginning with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we pray, we also understand that the Spirit is there to intercede for us in those things we don't know how to pray for. In Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 26, like, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He makes intercession for us, expressing the thoughts and the desires 
of the heart that are difficult for us to express. When we don't know how to put into words what we need to express to God, the Spirit intercedes for us. He makes intercession with us. Makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so we understand the the work of the Spirit today to be an intercessory type of work as well. We also understand ourselves to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, Paul condemned sexual sins especially, but also anything that would defile the body. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Verse 19, or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Our physical bodies as well as the spirit of each of us within us are given to us by God. Our physical bodies, the spiritual man, both are from God. Now it is important that we honor God with both the physical body and the spiritual body. Both are important to God. Both are supplied by God. And as the Spirit dwells within us, we understand that He will guide us in all righteousness. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Filled to the point that nothing of a contrary nature to God would be within us. We are to be filled with the Spirit, which requires us to dedicate our lives to God. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we know that the Spirit indwells us. We know that the Spirit guides us in what we say and do. We know that the Spirit intercedes for us. And in all of these things, we understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must keep ourselves pure in that regard. Going back to our original thought, there is one Spirit. We are united in one Spirit. The Holy Spirit that we read of in Scripture. We are unified. We are to be unified. As one body. Under one spirit. And we'll go through the list later as we go through these lessons. Maybe you don't understand the Spirit, and and I will again tell you that I don't understand everything about the Spirit. I don't understand exactly everything about all of the things that that I've mentioned here that we know about the Spirit. I do know them to be true. Do I understand how the Spirit works exactly? No. 
why I keep studying. But I do hope that we have a, at least enough understanding of the Spirit to know how we are unified in the Spirit and how there is but one Spirit. I don't know where you stand in, in your relationship with Christ today. Maybe it is that you have never obeyed the gospel, and if you need to do that, if you need to put on Christ in baptism, then we certainly want to give you that opportunity. We'd be glad to assist you in that need. Maybe it is that you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've wandered away and, and you need to come back to Him asking for prayer, for forgiveness, or for strength. Uh, we'll be glad to help you in that need as well. We want you to leave this place as a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, if you're not faithful, if you need to come back, then we give you the opportunity to come. As together we stand and as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. On behalf of myself and the Mars Hill Church of Christ, we thank you for joining us. We hope you will be back with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here on the Gospel Radio Network at tgrn.org. If you would like to contact us, our phone number is 615-203-3637. If you would like to find out more about our congregation, our website is www.marshillcoc.org. Our email address is marshillcoc at gmail.com. And if you would like to contact us the old-fashioned way, our address is 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. If you are in our area, we would love to meet you in person. Our service times are 9 a.m. for Bible study and 10 a.m. for worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you again for joining us, and until we meet again, may God bless you.